That's true. I have pretty pretty high tolerance for a lot of things. Well, you work with Dave Brady, right? <laughs> <laughs> Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 54 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel we have Eric Davis. Hello. Evan Light. It's really episode 42. Jeff Schoolcraft. What's up? I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and we have a special guest this week, um, Ash Dryden. Hi there. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly since you haven't been on the show? Yeah, definitely. Uh, my name is Ash Dryden, obviously. I live in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm an indie developer and conference organizer and generally a uh, community harasser. <laughs> yes. It's good to know another <laughs> troublemaker. <laughs> yep, we're learning from the best. Anyway, um, this week we're going to be talking about red flags uh, with potential and current clients. It, it was kind of interesting the way it came about. I had been fighting with, uh, well, I, I don't want to use the word fighting, but I had been emailing a, for, a former client who hadn't paid me for probably like seven or eight months. And uh, and so there was this whole discussion that we had on Twitter about um, deposits and things like that. And... Uh, and Ash mentioned that she she kind of has this list. I don't know if it's a formal list or kind of a mental list of red flags that uh, she watches for. And so uh, we thought we'd get her on the show to see what what red flags she has for uh, current clients and potential clients. And you know, I'm sure we all have things to add and and experience that we've had with clients that oh that no, can all, color all that my clients so. all my clients have been saints. So I don't know what you're talking about. That was a joke. <laughs> yeah, Evan doesn't uh Evan doesn't hire clients unless they have halos. <laughs> Says you know, right, and I'm an atheist too. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words in other words, I never get work. Yeah. But anyway, so um <laughs> do you wanna kind of do you wanna kind of uh, start us off with one or two of your uh red flags? Sure. So I kind of, I, I didn't have a formal list until this past week um, because for, I've been um, freelancing for probably the past three or four years and it's something that you slowly learn over time. And a lot of it is unfortunately trial and error. Like the, the things that, that you learn are red flags are usually uh, after you have a client and, and after you're kind of punished by, by whatever their actions are. Um, so I kind of divide them into pre-contract and post-contract. And I think it's important I'm sure that you guys have spoken explicitly before about why it's important to always have a contract. Um, but uh, one of one of my favorite things is clients that that don't want to sign a contract at all, or they kind of put off signing a contract as long as possible. Um, and I was speaking, I think I was speaking with Evan about this earlier uh, in the past week. Like I have my own contract, and if a client asks me to sign their contract instead of mine, I actually charge them more because there's the potential for more problems. I have to kind of work around their specific processes instead of them explicitly knowing uh, in a written form how I work. And as of this week, by the way, I'm doing the same thing. Sweet. As I of right that. now. I love that idea. As of right now, I'm doing the same thing too. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I loved that idea when I heard it. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've, seen I've seen that more and more. I went out to quote uh, Thunderbolt Labs pricing to somebody, and they had that too. Like it, their price was based on you accepting their contract, and there was a premium to it if you didn't or if you wanted yep. to use yours. Well, the the thing is that uh, yeah, like Ash kind of said, it you're taking on more risk by going with their contract. It's probably slanted more their way. Um, there are some things in there, you know, your contract and you know what the terms are. And so you know what you're getting there. And if you're using theirs, then there may be some language in there that you misunderstand or miss entirely. And then, you know, you, you have issues because of it. That's one of my favorite business groups right there. This this is all about red flags. Really. It's all about identifying risks in advance. And the other thing is too, I mean, charging more kind of makes sense because you may want to have a lawyer look over the contract. So that's going to incur costs for you. Yep. And and I thought it was interesting that you, before you even went into that, it was make sure you have a contract. Oh yeah. I, I learned that one the hard way, unfortunately, more than once. <laughs> um, oh man. Because I, especially if you work with people, uh, and I try, I try really hard to not work with uh, friends or like uh, companies that friends work at just because it can get kind of tricky because so many people do the, well, don't you trust me? You know, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm too soft hearted. I'm like, I totally trust you. Everything will be fine. And I've always gotten burned on that. So, so now I kind of say, you know, contracts are acquired. Um, and that's because it protects you and it protects me. You know, I want us to have a good working relationship and it's a lot easier when we both know ex- explicitly what that relationship means. I don't yeah, like can't a lot remember. of the rules. I feel like that, that there's some maybe minor exceptions to it. For example, when I have um, a really short one-off contract, example, when I'm mentoring people remotely, I'm often working maybe just one two-hour session with someone. Uh, that's I, I could go through all the paperwork of having you having them review and sign the contract, and I would even have to. I haven't done it yet. I'd have to tailor a contract just for mentoring. But the way I see it is if if generally I get a sense of the person before I mentor them, and if they're going to shortchange me on a single session, it's more than likely because they don't feel like they got any value out of it. And if that's the case, then I feel like I didn't do my job right anyway. And I've never had that happen. Now, that doesn't mean it won't at some point. Yeah. But for anything that's remotely long-term, I'm totally there with you. Well, the, the other thing is, is on those shorter contracts, because I've worked a few of them that were like a week, or I've done I've done some coaching and mentoring, and with those, it I just make them prepay. Yeah, I've done that too. Yeah. I mean, it, co- it comes down to again, we're talking about red flags, we're talking about risk, and well, the other thing to consider with risk is what's the impact of if the risk manifests, mm-hmm. and if the impact is minimal, then maybe it's not really worth dealing with. Yeah, that's true too. That's that's interesting that you don't have people sign a contract for short term things. Like right now, I have. Um, a five-hour contract or five-hour project and I had them sign a contract and mostly that's because almost all of my clients end up wanting more work once I complete like the first set of requirements that they have and it's Mm -hmm. just easier to kind of continue that relationship without stopping every single time and um, it I don't know it's just I, I like the formalization in the oh, relationship. It makes I, them realize, like, this is professional, this is serious, we both have to take it seriously. That, that's, that's a fair point. When I'm with mentoring, a lot of the time, I get a sense of whether the, whether I'm talking to someone, because I talk to them a little in advance over email, I get some sense of whether this sounds like the kind of person who's going to want to be a recurring 
student essentially, or if this is really just a one-off, I just need, really, I need someone to bounce ideas off of. And if it's someone who seems, when I'm dealing with people who seem like it, it's probable or even kind of likely that they're going to come back, then maybe I'll talk to them about paperwork. But for one-off kinds of things, they're very informal, occasional, like two hours once a month, and I invoice them and they pay me after each one. The contract doesn't feel as important to me then. Um, when there's code involved, then not either there's a contract or they just pay me right up front, just as Chuck said. When I've had well, a one-week contract, that's what I ask for, is I ask for payment in advance. you got to be careful with that, though. Like The payment stuff, yeah, that's one side, but there's a downside. Even if it's a one-week contract, if you do something and they decide to take you to court and hold you liable for your code, Fair point. You, Fair point. you have a huge downside, and it's more than just them stiffing you the payment. So at the very least, you have to have a contract that say. No, like, you're you're, you're right. The, the indemnity that. information in my contract is very relevant. Now mm -hmm. I'll keep that in mind in the future. It's a, we, we, and for people listening, we should refer them back. What is it? Two or three episodes to the the contract episode. Very good point. Yeah, and the other thing uh, that Chuck mentioned earlier is I also take a down payment or, or rather a deposit up front and that doesn't get subtracted from their accounts until the last invoice because I've been burned so many times with, oh, this is the last invoice. It's not like she's going to stop working because there's no more work to do and they'll kind of stiff me on the last invoice. So they have to keep paying <laughs> all the way through yep. the contract and then the deposit is, is subtracted from the very last invoice. Yeah, and I have to say that I I was making the mistake of uh, take I was taking the um the down payment or the um deposit or whatever you want to call it, but I was applying it to their first invoice, and then yeah, and, and then I got I got nailed at the end because they never paid me. Right. This is something I've long talked about too because I had heard even before I started freelancing, I have heard too many horror stories. So as soon as I started, I started by taking down payments and. Um, it, not only that, it gives you leverage when a, a client is is delinquent on payments. Um, because one of my first freelancing clients, they felt like a month and a half behind, and I was getting ready to walk. And the deposit, I think, would have covered the amount would have covered that amount if I had walked. It gave me leverage, basically, to, to get them to get their act together. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. So a couple of the other like pre-contract stuff I have is um, them asking you to reduce your hourly rate or um, them asking you to take payment in something other than money. And that like happens. <laughs> I knew you were going to say goats. I knew it. Um, equity. No, equity. Equity is a big one. I, I've, I've worked with a lot of startups and um, I would love to be able to take equity in your startup, but it's not guaranteed money. Uh, equity does not buy me groceries. <laughs> as yeah. much as as much as I think that your business is pretty darn cool, it's not going to help me any. So, well, not only that, when you're taking equity, you have to. I feel like I have to ask myself when they're offering it, is this something I would invest my own money in if I would if I just had money to spare? And almost always the answer is no. And that's what they're asking you to do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, and and that's that's where I hit it too. Is you know, I talk to them and, and I usually actually say something to the effect of, so what you're asking me to do is be an investor in your company. Exactly. Exactly. And, and then, and then it's like, well, you know, and, and a lot of times it's not even like straight equity. Like you get so much equity for so much work. It's, it's, 
it, it's always like, well, you get it and it vests on this schedule and it does this and it does this other thing. And it's like, look, no, you're, you're not even giving me like straight value in your company if I wanted it for the, the money or for the, the time that I'm putting in. And so, yeah. And, well, and, and also, if they gave you straight equity, then you would become a shareholder. And technically, you could tell yourself not to do something. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But but the other thing is, is if the company goes bust, because they're not going to give you controlling share, right? So you, right. you can't make the decisions that make it go bust or not, and then it's your fault. If they go bust, then you don't get anything. Right. And that's most startups. Let's be frank. Yes. A lot of businesses, too. I mean, just just pure businesses, people who, you know, have been established for a long time. Any, any I don't know. Like I said, any time that somebody tries to offer me something other than money, unless it's something that's really cool, like if they, you know, if they produce some kind of product that I would want, I would be willing to, you know, trade, you know, an, an hour uh, in lieu of whatever their product is. Well, hey, if they produced groceries, you know, <laughs> and they gave and they gave you long term and they gave you credit that would last indefinitely toward groceries, sure. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I really, I really like the distinction you made there too between startups and businesses. There, Ash, because because some startups really aren't businesses. Yeah, it's a, it's an argument I get into a lot with people. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. So, so some other things, uh, I've had a lot of clients that try and get me to do work before the contract is signed. Like I, I have a specific, uh, I have a specific contract set up for discovery. And the only thing that happens in, in discovery is discovery. Um, and I'll have people, you know, ask me to attend meetings or talk to the other people that are on the team. Um, oh, just to be clear, like I do team augmentation and, and training and, um, and uh, so I work with a lot of different people. So there are a lot of people that need to be communicated to, which is totally reasonable, but it has to be on the clock and it has to be under a contract. That's interesting. So, um, I, I have a lot of questions about that then. So, uh, discovery, do you actually make them pay for the time you put in to figure out whether or not it's a contract that you're going to actually work? Yes, because then I, I give them a document um, that they can then take to any other contractor if they choose not to go with me or if I choose not to take the contract or to take, take the project on. They can take that document and say, look, we had somebody do discovery. Um, so, you know, if you need to do discovery, keep all of these things in mind. It kind of gives them a starting point. So they know exactly how much work has to be done. I'm investing time into whatever their project is. So it, it costs me time to do. So at what point do you introduce that in as soon as you talk to them? Yeah, so I, I kind of have an initial meeting and talk about the kinds of problems that they're having and, and what they would see my role as being, and then kind of discuss what discovery entails, you know, getting access to to whatever things I need access to and talking to any teammates uh, that I might have on the project, uh, just to kind of, you know, feel out what how much how long it's going to take and that kind of thing. Hmm. And do you just charge your normal billable rate for that or? Yep. I think the reason Chuck Chuck sounds curious the way he does is because, at least myself, I think Chuck might do the same thing, um, where for large projects, at least, I tend to do the discovery for free um, as a little bit of a loss leader, but also getting a foot in the door, giving the client a, 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 an additional sense of, of comfort with me early on. 
Um, for smaller projects, I tend to do something more like what you do, although, although I don't have a separate contract for Discovery. I just build them for it. But, uh, and, and the line between small and large is, is kind of a fuzzy one. So, uh, but it, so it's a project by project thing where I figured that out essentially. See, yeah. I do the same thing as Ash. Like, I tell them, like, I have a one hour consultation where it's more of a meet and greet and like, do I want to work with this person, not actually the project? And then I say, look, we can either do a discovery where I kind of figure out what you need, or we can jump right into the project as kind of, you know, a fixed amount of hours a week and kind of do discovery more agile as we're working on it. And most clients, because they're rushing to get me in, want to just, you know, throw the discovery in and do bits of it, you know, in the first week and a little bit over time. But I actually, for a while there, I had an actual separate service that I would say, like, look, if you want to work with me, you need to do this discovery process. I'll give you a document that you can take to any developer that knows what they're doing and they can implement what I'm recommending. And, you know, of course I would like to implement it, but if you don't want to work with me on implementation, you want to work with someone else, that's your option. When I've, when I've dealt, well, most of my clients have been startups and some of them early on have a certain amount of hesitance. So I used to discover, as I said, a way to get the foot in the door. It is, and I completely agree with what you said, Ash, that it is an investment on my part. And that's exactly how I see it. For a long-term contract, a little invested up front can be a really long-term win for me. So a small investment can be worth it, but it depends on, on the project. Well, one thing that uh, I think is different from the approach that Ash is bringing up versus what I typically do is I'll sit down and I'll figure out what they need, but I don't actually deliver them anything. I don't, I don't give them a, a document that says, so this is what you want. Um, in, right. in a lot of cases, you know, I may sit down and I'll, I'll plan it out in Tracker or Redmine or something. And, and then it's there, but it's, there's, there's nothing formal about it that I can say, okay, here you go. You can take this to another developer and make it happen. It's, well, you know, this is in my system. I'm happy to, you know, in Tracker transfer the project over to your account or whatever. But, you know, in the end, I'm not, saying here's a product that you can actually take and use even if you don't feel like I'm the person that you want to do the implementation and so um, you know outlining the value there and explaining even if I'm not the person that implements it I'm going to give you this value um, I think it makes a lot of sense and and it's just part of your your sales process as to how you approach that yeah and I used to do that for free for some clients before I wised up and I know one, I, I spent probably five, maybe 10 hours specking it out, figuring out what kind of, you know, data design we're going to need, what kind of integrations we're going to need, gave it to them. And they're like, Oh, that's great. Yeah, let's think about it before we sign the contract. A couple of weeks later, I heard back from them. Oh, we want to do a different project. Can we, you know, do this one and get this concurrently while we're thinking about the other thing? And I ended up blowing, I think 20 or 40 hours designing stuff for yeah. them and they never became a client. And this was like my first year. So I didn't know what I was doing. I don't put that kind of time in in a discovery when I'm working, even with large clients. But I still, I, to be very clear, I tend to draw a line in the sand at maybe two to four hours, and that, that's the end of the discovery. Maybe I do more once they sign the contract. I'm not going, I don't never invest that kind of time. I also sell that as a service. I also explicitly will say, you know, if you just need somebody who can look at the big picture and kind of plan out what this should look like, so your in-house developers can actually put this together. I'm perfectly cool with doing that too. Yeah, I, I really like that. Um, how do you how do you have that on your website? I'm gonna actually go and. I don't look. actually. I see. I, I I think I'm. I was talking to Evan. I think I'm kind of in this weird class of of freelancers where the vast majority of my work is 
uh, referral based. Uh, it's through word of mouth, it's through people meeting me and that kind of thing. I don't explicitly have anything on my website just because I'm not always soliciting clients and I kind of like the word of mouth thing a little bit better because I tend to get better quality clients rather than kind of like the cold call. That's how I tend to get a lot of mine too, but not all. And yes, I, I concur. The word of, it's just like when you're hiring people too, right? You're usually better hiring people from your network than yep. just people that come in off the street. There's a yeah. certain amount of pre-qualification involved, essentially. Yeah, and I mean, it's nice, too. Like, I have enough people that will just, you know, from talking to me at conferences and, and that kind of thing, will just say, oh, do you do that as a contractor? Because we're looking for somebody who does that. Or they'll remember a conversation that they had with me four months ago about it. So it, I, I would rather spend the time talking to people about the kind of thing that I do and, and the projects that I've worked on. Yeah. Most of my clients have actually not been referrals. I've, I've picked up one or two from referrals, but I've been really bad about asking for referrals and testimonials and things. And I'm getting much better at that. So another thing I actually explicitly have stated in my contract, my business hours and my availability, because I'm one of those people that, has a really hard time with the work-life balance. Like, if, I mean, left to my own devices, I will work 18-hour days, and I just won't stop. So it's kind of nice when uh, I have other things to distract me, like I have to be able to feed the cat, so I should probably go home at a certain point. Like, I have all these other responsibilities. So I explicitly state in my contract the hours that I have, my availability, the way that you can contact me. And a big red flag is people who say, well, we might need you like right up at the end of the project at three o'clock in the morning to be able to implement something. And my response is generally, well, you know, for one thing, your projects probably shouldn't be going like that. Like if, if you aren't planning out well enough that three o'clock in the morning, the day before, you know, whatever the launch is, fires are having to be put out, then you need to be better at planning. You know, you need, maybe you need to push the launch a week if that's the kind of thing that happens to you on a regular basis. So it's really important for me to be able to establish those kind of boundaries right up front with the client so they know what to expect from when they can contact me, when they can expect a response, um, how frequently I expect them to respond to me, that kind of thing. Good points. Um... What I've sometimes done, especially when I'm doing staff augmentation, I'll try to talk to other people on the team because I don't have that. I don't have that in my contract. I tend to tell the client what my rough hours are, but it's sometimes hard to tell from talking just to that one contact you might have how well they actually manage the project. And a poorly managed project is a giant red flag, right? I mean, the poorly managed project is usually going to have. Uh, lots of problems near deadline, lots of crunch times, and they're going to have ridiculous requests. So that that's something I try to suss out too. Let me give you another one, one that that I encountered lately, and you can tell me what you think. Um, because I was I was approaching where one client approached me, and I actually involved another freelancer. Both of us had the impression from talking with this fellow that um, I don't know a good way to put it other than to say he seemed kind of needy um which is to say that he just he just kept coming back frequently with little comments little questions and it was just making it started to make us a little bit uncomfortable and we we offline we talked about it a little and we said both of us both of us thought something doesn't seem right with this guy he's just 
he's it's not that he's overly involved because involved is good right we like good communication but there was the i think it was something to do with the frequency have you ever had yeah have you ever in talking to a lead just so i guess let me put it another way have you ever in talking to a lead just had the willies by some degree and then later figured out what it was Definitely. I, I don't know that it's later figured out what it was. I think it kind of depends on the client. Like I work with a lot of marketing and advertising agencies that aren't necessarily, um, they don't work the same way that we do. They, they work in a very different style. Um, everything is kind of like do everything. I mean, it's very waterfall. Like, I mean, if you're going to give a good analogy, like everything gets mm-hmm. done in a very different way. And I've had clients that kind of do like that will email you, you know, once an hour on the hour, um, asking questions, things they didn't think of. And, and sometimes it's just kind of setting them up to work the way that works best for you. So I'll say, I, you know, I, I see that you have a lot of questions. Would it help if we sat down for an hour and kind of discuss these things? Because you seem to have a lot of concerns and I definitely want to quell any of those. Um, and, and make sure that we're both on the same page because it's hard for me to, I, I, I really hate email. Like I have written tons of blog posts about how much I hate email. I used to run a, a startup that was explicitly trying to get people away from email because that's how much I hate email. So, so, uh, t- talking to clients about how, you know, what are the best ways that we can communicate? What are the most effective ways that we can communicate, that we can communicate and trying to figure out what's behind the the way that they do that and i mean i've i've worked at um i've worked with marketing and advertising agencies where i'll spend a day in their office and they'll do like i i've had the like get an email and then they walk up to you and say did you get my email like five seconds later and that's not (laughs) the way that i work i can't handle that which is why you know i prefer my own office i don't like working in a client's office i like being in like in my own little zone so it's just sometimes it's just a different way that they work Right. So it sounds like a, another, another red flag right there. Cause this, this is kind of what I was experiencing too is when you find that despite working with the, I, I guess I'll call them leads. They're not a client that so you convert them. Despite working with the lead, you cannot negotiate out a mutually acceptable communication style. Right. Yeah. Because well, that's sort of where we got with this guy and we were, we found out in retrospect we were right because when we told him we wanted to pass on the project, he turned around the next day and he sent a few psycho random emails at us. So when I, I say that, I mean it included much profanity. It was just completely out of left field. <laughs> yeah. One, one other thing that I've seen come up with clients, uh, that's somewhat related to what we're talking about here is that they seem to think that, uh, when they hire a consultant or a uh, contractor, that they're effectively just paying an hourly employee. Yeah, or, um, or, or, sorry, go ahead. But, but they, they think, okay, well, now I have the right to, you know, whatever these things are, you know, and you've talked about a lot of them, you know, with the communication, how often, what type, um, having you in their office, um, you know, what, what level of access you have, whether or not you take other clients, all of that stuff. <laughs> Eric put in meeting week. Yeah, I've been in a few of those with some of my clients. And, uh, you know, they, they honestly think that, you know, you're at their beck and call and, you know, that, uh, you know, you basically belong to them until the contract's over. Yeah. It's That's never happened. <laughs> Ever. 
Something that's kind of related to that, like I, I tell people that I like to have one decision maker. So I like to have one person yes. that's point of contact. And yes. there's so many times where inside these companies, they have they they would prefer to do everything by committee. And some I'm sure that some businesses that works really well for, it, and I'm glad that they have that democratic process. But I want the end decision. I want you know one person to be able to walk up to a podium and say, I hereby declared this, and that is the law of the land. That's all I want. I just want to talk to one person. And I've I've actually worked with companies where that person changes a lot or the person that's in that job gets fired and then somebody else, you know, steps in and then that person gets fired. All of those things are red flags too. Uh, just the way that their internal culture works. I mean, I, I'm generally not super embedded in my clients' cultures. Um, most of the time I'm kind of at an arm's distance. Uh, so I don't generally have to deal with that. But when it starts affecting me on a, who am I contacting about problems, about questions, who am I having meetings with? If I send an email and if it doesn't get answered for a week and I finally contact the president of the company and they say, oh, that person got fired, we replaced them with this person and nobody thought to notify me. All of those things kind of add up to like feeling just general uneasiness, I guess. So it sounds to me like if there's a red flag to note there, um, based on what you were saying and what Chuck was saying, it's that moment when you realize the client is treating you like you are part of the culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I, I've seen that too. And at, at that point, you're no longer the valued outsider. You're just another part of the, the machine. And your, your opinion is no longer valued as a consultant. You were just there to churn out work. Yeah, and I think that some consultants do work like that. I think that's yes. part of part of the reason that a lot of these companies work that way. So that's totally understandable and kind of saying up front, like, this is the way that I work. This is the way that things are going to go. If you have any questions or issues, like, let's work it out. But I'm not going to work in your office or I'm not going to have somebody standing over my shoulder and watching me debug something. You know, it's just it's not the way that I work. Um, well, and I appreciate that that's a process you guys had in the past, but that's not the way it's going to continue if you want me as a consultant. I mention it also because, um, at least with one of my clients, I've seen it happen sort of by slow degrees, where I'm brought in as a consultant and, and they want me for my advice. And then over time, perhaps um, this is almost a, maybe a, a different um, a different episode, possibly. Um, not that I'm having an episode, that is. But um, that... They, that over time they've learned about as much as they can, they can afford to learn because learning sometimes requires slowing down. And so now they just want to get back to banging stuff out. So they just want to go back to, go to a, a, a lower quality, faster solution, at which point they just want people who help them churn out widgets and not make widgets better. Yeah. Another thing kind of related to that, I had um, a potential client kind of recently, it was a project I was really excited about and really wanted to do, kind of hemmed and hawed about signing the contract and hadn't heard from them in a month. And I ended up having to go into the emergency room for something and I was not having a good time like health wise and hadn't heard from them in a while. So just kind of figured, you know, they're just dropped off the edge of the planet. That's fine. They found somebody else. And then... Um, they eventually got an email like, we haven't heard from you. You never told us that you were going into the hospital. And I was like, we don't have a contract. And it was the emergency room. <laughs> it's not something that I planned. So it's, I don't know, there's some things that in weird situations come up that you're like, yeah, that's definitely a red flag right there. That sounds to me like the, the whole, the, the needy 
sketchy yes. pattern, if you will, that I mentioned earlier. We don't have a contract, but but you're in the hospital, and this is bad. Yeah, exactly. And no project was started. I was like, I don't, I don't know why it's such a big deal. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's it, not it, like it, we're doing like, anything. It, it's like you went on one date with a person, and, and then all of a sudden, oh wait, you're going out with another person. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> 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 so one other one that I ran into recently, I, I went up to a company that's kind of local here and um, kind of local, meaning it was a 45 minute drive to get there and, uh, you know, had lunch with them and got food poisoning and all that fun stuff. But <laughs> Wait, um, your client gave, gave you poison? <laughs> like, that's a red flag, Chuck. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we went to the cafe in the building they work in and the don't eat the fish tacos. Bad idea. Anyway. Um, I, I was ta I was sitting there and I'm talking through lunch with the CEO of the company, and then he's like, "Well, I want you to talk to the developer as well, and that that makes sense. Um, you know, he's he's their expert, so you know he should feel comfortable with me being around and working on their code. But between the two of them, it seemed like they were both talking about two completely different projects. I mean, like, like, like the name was kind of the same and the, the general gist was kind of the same, but like any of the rest of the details, it just wasn't there. And then they weren't sure if they wanted a consultant or if they wanted a full-time employee. And so they'd been interviewing both. And I mean, it's this huge red flag when they have no idea what they want. It's called disorganization. So, so, I mean, I was planning on being up there all day and working remotely you know, with my current, one of my current clients while I was up there. And yeah, I left right after lunch. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, I know what I need to know. I'm out of here. <laughs> but, but I mean, those people are so hard to work with if, if you're getting just this, these conflicting views on things or if, if they really don't know what your role's supposed to be. Cause Especially I can't, I can't tell them if I'm the right person. I can't tell them if I'm the person they want to do the job. Cause I have no idea. And that's hard if you get into it after, like you realize that that's the case after the fact, because somebody is always going to resent the role that you didn't know you were supposed to play. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. That makes it hard. So uh, let's see what else. Oh, one of my favorite ones. I, I talked about this one uh, last week. I was approached by a national hardware store, very well known. And, um, one of the things that was in their uh, non-compete was you couldn't work on anything that had catalog catalog data <laughs> by categories that could be chosen. And I, I said, love those. I, I, I totally appreciate this project, but that's not something that I can sign because I have so many clients that are like, you know, e-commerce websites or kind of informational things where they have, you know, tagged information. You know, this is, this isn't something that's new that's just been invented that they invented. And I'm trying to explain to them that it's not reasonable and any consultant that's worth their money. <laughs> will not agree to sign that. And they said, oh, well, this is kind of a requirement. And I said, all right, well, good luck finding someone else. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember we it. talked about that one last week, right? Um, yep. I, I had, because I had a client, my uh, one of my most recent ones, they gave me an NDA, and I told you about this one already, Ash. They gave me an NDA contract that I would violate the moment I would clone their Git repo. So it, it, it was literally impossible to do any work for them. And I went back to them and said, okay, you got to get rid of this line, this line, this line, this line, this line, this line. And then maybe it can actually work for you. There was, there was a non-compete in there too. That was basically, you can't work on a web app. 
<laughs> for like a year or something like that. And uh, at least in their case, though, these guys were small and they said, oh, okay, this NDA sucks, we'll fix it. But your story is a little more amusing. I, I was working with that. I was working with the lead, I don't know, three months ago or something. And they had uh, the scope of the non-compete wasn't as outrageous, but the duration of it was. It was like a 20-year non-compete oh. or something. It was ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. How how specific was the scope though? It's fairly specific to their industry, but general enough to be something you cross in a year or so. Oh, so yeah, I, heck with that. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Twenty I, I, years. I, I say I've seen a ten year where basically it was so vague that I couldn't work on software for ten years. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, they didn't pay you for ten years. That's cool. And yeah, I've got they weren't willing. I've got non disclosures that read like non competes. Heck, Jeff. You know why don't why don't they just give you put you through the government security clearance process and that in in, in for that particular project's case and, and say here everything we're going to brief you in on is top secret. You're never allowed to share it, use it for the rest of your life. Yeah, that'd be yeah. easier. <laughs> but 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 the thing is, is a lot of them. You know, they they basically word it so it's like you can't use or share any of the technology that you use in this project or any of the techniques you use in this project. And it's like, look, I got to work. Yeah, right. Well, and what's my favorite thing about that is almost always the clients who say those kinds of things rely on open source anyway. I so know. It, it, drives, it drives me insane. I'm like, so let me get this straight. You want to use what people have out in the community and have been working on for however many years as a collective, a ton of people all over the world, but you're unwilling to, to contribute back to that? I'm like, then you don't understand open source and maybe we're like not the right cultural fit. Yeah. yeah, the worst one is I worked on uh, Redmine stuff, which is GPL version two. So it basically taints anything you do. Um, I had a potential lead asked for a non-complete, non-disclosed, can't do anything with it. I'm like, um, this is GPL. That GPL. Won't work. <laughs> <laughs> it's legally impossible. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that goes back to what we're talking about. Like, if you come with your contract, you can have you know an NDA that's you know works for both sides, it's pretty sane and can keep, you know, your options open in the future. But if it's the client's contract, I mean, you got to get your red marker out. Yeah. 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 So uh, another one that I run into semi-frequently is not uh, them not meeting timelines or like not getting me deliverables at a reasonable rate. Like, oh. I mean, there are some things that, you know, I yeah. know. <laughs> We're all groaning here. <laughs> That happens all the time. All and the time. I, I actually stopped. I used to have like a timeline in my contract that explicitly stated March 1st, I will deliver this. March 15th, you will deliver this. But it got to the point where people were not keeping their end of the bargain. And in addition, they would then be upset that the thing that I relied on them to be able to produce, I wouldn't be able to deliver on time. So I just said, 20, 20 days after you give me this, this is what you will receive, because I could never rely on them to keep their end of the bargain. Well, the, I, I, we, We've all seen that. <laughs> well, the other problem that you have in those cases is not just that they're angry because it's late, but in a lot of cases, if they're your only client which isn't a situation you really want to necessarily be in. But if they're your only client or are a major portion of your income at the time and you're sitting there waiting and not billing hours against their project because right. you don't have you're what you need. Because they're, you're blocked they, because you're waiting on them. They may as well not be paying you. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, well, they can't be paying you because you can't be working, right? Exactly. 
So, yeah, and I see, I get this, the, unfortunately, this is the vast majority of the clients I've worked with that they, that there's, even though we've got a contract, even though I'm not cheap, they seem to think it, it, it's okay. It, the, and this is, it's even worse. It's because it's when they're paying me still, I have work to do, but I, but if I'm missing information, there's either some work that's going by the wayside or some things that are being done inefficiently. So they're wasting money. I'm telling them, Hey, I need this. This is costing you money because you're not giving me X, Y, and Z. And they just piss their money away. And this becomes a real problem too. Like I tend to schedule projects pretty much back to back. I, I prefer not to work on multiple projects at once just so I can kind of focus all of my attention and energy on one thing at a time. But if they're late in delivering things, you know, and I'm, I've kind of calendared things based on what their hard and fast deadline is, then my other clients might be punished because they are incapable of delivering things on time. Right. And that makes me look bad, which I don't like having done. So we have like a cascading failure. Yeah. So I have to ask then, I mean, we're talking about red flags, but what, what do you do in these particular cases? I mean, do you email them every day when you get started? I'm still waiting for X or, you know, cause you can <laughs> kind of make a nuisance of yourself or I don't I know. Do. I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm willing to make a nuisance of myself because it's them wasting their money mm-hmm. in, in a lot of my cases. And I don't like wasting their money for one thing. So do you specifically um, mention that in the email? Um, yes. I, I need this to get this done and you're going to yes. lose this money or lose this uh, timeline or whatever. Well, yes. I, I guess it, it's like the Dale, it's the Dale Carnegie approach, right? It's you're telling it why it should matter to them. You're telling them why it should matter to them. And if that's not getting through to them, then they, then these guys need help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I try not to put um, the monetary penalty in there because it. whenever you bring up money like that, it always kind of puts a sour taste in people's mouths. So a lot of the times I just remind them of their deadline. If we're going to keep your deadline for X date, then I need to have this thing within the next 48 hours. I've heard some people, and it might have been Eric, that um, if you don't meet your, if your client doesn't meet deadlines and some response they have to you, that it could affect your availability to work on their project. So like you're saying, Ash, that you schedule projects back to back and if they're 15 days late or three weeks late or whatever it is, then they just fall into the queue and you start working on the other project and they just suck it up until you're available again because they didn't respect you enough to make the deadline. Mm. Yep, that's kind of how I do it. That's awesome. I, my contract specifies what I deliver to them, what we get from the open source or out of the community third party and also what the client has to give me. And if they don't give me what what they're supposed to give me, technically it's almost a breach of contract. And so I basically say like, I don't say like I'm working on your project for the next two weeks until it's done. I say I'm working on your project for the next two weeks. Two weeks plus one day, I'm off your project. You're gonna have to wait till the next cycle. Cause I do, so, I kind of time slice through the month for different clients. So, so Eric, is that like a statement of work that you give them in addition to the contract? Uh, yeah, yeah. The statement of work will outline all of that stuff. and. Yeah, I'll basically okay. say I'm working for you for, for example, uh, one week a month. We we can pick the week outside of the statement of work, but once it's picked and confirmed in email, which is official, that's it. You know, come Saturday morning, I'm off your project, and it works for some clients because sometimes they do have fires that are outside of their control, and so those fires take first priority and it bumps stuff off the end of the the week. But you know, for clients that just kind of sit on deadlines that don't give me stuff, they learn really quickly to kind of get stuff ready for me when I start. 
Yeah, and I actually have um, a section of my contract that these are all the things that I'm going to need, so you can kind of prepare. And in some projects, I can say I need all of these things before I start, and then once I have these things, I will give you a start date. Um, so I, I guess it kind of depends on the size of the project and the kind of project it is. But I, I, if I can, I prefer to have everything up front in one lump. Yeah, one of my better clients, uh, I worked basically a week every month for them long term and at the end of the week we'd kind of plan out okay eric what do you need for next month so we have an entire month to get it ready for you and basically they were great because would, i would come in basically monday and be like okay everything's here i start working on it i get everything done and then next friday like okay now we're going to look out again and that was that was a great relationship because they were able to do all the planning and they could plan around if they had problems or whatever and but they still got all of the stuff i needed or if they had questions on things like it was all resolved before I actually had this really heavy dev time. So to, to, to try to synthesize a little bit from this, what I'm really hearing is, isn't so much red flags as much as, and, and I like this and I think I want to try to emulate this, is that you guys are trying to be very clear about setting the expectations on the client before work begins and while work is going ongoing. So that way there is less churn and less waste. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, what, I, mean, what, I I have a list here of like red flags, but it's actually I positive phrase it so it's like my ideal client. And last item is plans plans enough ahead in order to keep momentum on the project. Well, in that case, we'll just blame Chuck for being negative by saying it's all about red flags. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like do to want, spin. I, I do want to point out though that uh, a lot of this comes down to communication, and I know we've yeah we we've kind of been uh, going back and forth and and talking around it and talking about it. But some clients, if if you can communicate well what you need and communicate well about how they can communicate with you, because uh, they, they don't understand uh, what it takes to do what you do. That's why they hired you. Um, but if you can communicate well as to, you know, how they can facilitate you in your in your helping them, then you're in a good a good place. Um, exactly. And I, I think that's the solution to a lot of this. We're actually going to have. Uh, a friend of mine, Jen Swanson, on the show next week, and she's going to talk to us a lot about communication. But uh, yeah, I just, I just, it, it came to mind that that's that's what we're dealing with here. And the clients that are really have the red flags are the ones that can't or won't adapt to be able to accommodate you. Um, and to a certain degree, you have to adapt to accommodate them too. But right, it's a meeting in the middle. It should. This is one thing I was going to mention as a red flag too. Um, slight, slight tangent. But if they're not willing to meet you in the middle, if it becomes a you're going if it if it becomes the you're going to deal with us on our terms, then it's not a partnership kind of relationship. It's very much a master servant kind of relationship. And I don't think any of us really buy into that sort of approach to, to consulting. Maybe I'm wrong, but I like to view it as a partnership and when I don't have a partnership style of communication with my client. They don't tend to see my client very long. If if we wanted the master slave um deal, we we'd all have full-time jobs. But I'm but I'm bummed. I don't know. Some employers some employers do get this right. I mean, I've I've worked for um I've worked full-time for places that were really more partners than they were kind of like the top down like this is what I decree and this is what shall be kind of thing so I, I don't want to give all full-time employers a bad rap and there are definitely uh, 
uh, clients that I've contracted for that are really good at this. And sometimes it's just that they've never had to work this way before. So they're learning something new too. I, 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 I of, agree. I've, yeah, I've worked for of, those people too. Yeah. And I kind of look at it like I'm, I'm helping them be better for the consultant that comes after me. Right. So that's one more consultant that's going to have a great client and somebody else has done it for me before me. So I appreciate that. Yeah, that's one red flag I kind of have, and it's more a yellow flag is, has this person worked with a freelancer and also have they worked with a remote developer before? Because if they haven't, yeah. there's a lot of kind of education and upfront expectation setting that if, you know, versus if you worked with a company that has all remote workers and, you know, hires contractors all the time, like they kind of know how stuff works. Mm -hmm. That is true. So are there any other red flags? I mean, we kind of started from the red flags of, you know, as we're qualifying leads and things like that. Um, are there red flags that start pushing you toward wanting to leave a project or things that you just don't tolerate and you're like, um, bye? Definitely. So I got a big one to throw out that I think everyone will agree with. This could be uh, a whole episode, Chuck. Come on. <laughs> I know. <laughs> So, I mean, once again, this is my positive spin, but basically the client understands that they're the expert with the business and they understand that I'm the expert with the software. Yes. Yeah. And we, that they understand that you can't build the software unless they're available to provide their expertise. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a mutual yeah. thing. I've, I've had some people have never coded in their life trying to dictate how the code should be structured. And I'm like, if you want to write the code, I'll give you a text editor. But I mean, it, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's micromanagement at the scale you wouldn't believe. Well, the, the classic one is, so we just need you to, to, we just need X, Y, X, Y, and Z, you know, big humongous feature. That's only going to take you like two hours, right? Yeah, there's a script that does that, right? <laughs> and I think that falls back on education, right? I mean, especially when you're talking to somebody who's not themselves a developer, it's very hard for them to understand. Like what we do is very black box. Like you go away and you come back with something that works and does exactly what I wanted it to do. So if they don't see the amount of work that goes into it or the amount of planning that has to go into something like that, it's easy for them to dismiss the amount of time it takes. While I'm willing to give the client the benefit of the doubt a lot, where the lead benefit of the doubt a lot of the time, there are some individuals who I've worked with or for who they're just not going to get it because even though they don't understand, they're too, I'll just be blunt, too arrogant to accept they don't understand. Sure. I think one of my other big red flags, too, is... Um either moving up the deadline or suddenly everything becomes an emergency. And if it's not, <laughs> if it's not your project, that's the emergency. It's something else that they have to take developers that are on your project off of. So then your project becomes an emergency because you don't have enough, you know, people actually working on something to actually hit, <laughs> to actually hit the number of hours that you expected to be able to use on a project. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that's an easy red flag. They don't know how to prioritize. Yeah. yeah I was going to say that, I mean, when everything becomes an emergency because you're not going to hit the deadline or they move the deadline, but there's also the issue of, well, we want you to take care of the top priorities. Well, what are they? Well, here are oh. all 15 of them, <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, you know, and, and any one of them is, is a full-time job priority, right? And, uh, and so there's just no way. 
I, I think I think it's interesting too. I mean, especially for a lot of clients that are working on things, uh, projects that don't necessarily have a hard deadline. It was just kind of something that was pulled out of a board meeting that they said, "Okay, we need this up by October 1st. Um, them not necessarily understanding the amount of work that's going to go into it or being flexible on a deadline that, you know, it's not we have an investor meeting lined up three days later and we want to make sure that this is up and working. Uh, it Like being flexible on both sides, I guess, is important is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> sure. I mean, there's, there's agile and then there's the, and then there's scope creep. Um, yeah. that, that's the term that I use. So that was one of my first contracting clients, but I've seen this all the time in the government space where it's, we want this, but, oh, and by the way, we want this. Oh, and by the way, we want this. Oh, and by the way, we want this. And, and so, you know, a delivery date keeps getting pushed back and back, further back. Um, yeah, talking about money at that point, you know, is, is, might make, might put a sour taste in their mouth. But at some point you have to say to them, Hey guys, this extra feature, it's going to cost you more money. This extra feature, it's going to cost you more money. Oh, and it's going to take more time too. Because otherwise they might get it in their crazy heads. Cause I've seen this occasionally where they think all these extra features will be free and will occur on the same schedule. I really like setting them up to um, kind of have a continuing contract. I'll be like, yes, that's a great idea. And we should definitely do that in the second iteration. So that right. kind of guarantees that I have another contract right after the one that I'm completing. And it, it kind of gives gives them the ability to dream big and think of the things that their application should be doing, you know, for their for their customers without telling them no. The other thing that I really right. like... And, uh, I, oh, sorry, I, I love to tell them yes, but sometimes the client, at least, okay, this one, couldn't get it through their heads, let's ship an MVP and then let's add more features, no matter how hard I tried. There's always that edge case. I seem to get a bunch of them. Yeah, and I like using some of the tools like Tracker um, yeah. for, for this because you basically say, okay, you can put anything you want above this release. You know, everything you want in this release, go ahead and put it in that release. And then you explain the velocity is a measure of how fast we've been moving. And so if we continue to move at the pace we've been going, then you will get the deadline wherever that little blue bar falls. And yeah. so then they start exactly. looking at it and they go, holy crap. We need it before two months. And so then they start moving stuff below the line and they immediately start to understand, okay, to get this release, I want this. And then, and then you'd start talking to them. Well, this other stuff's important, right? Yes, it's important. Well, then we'll create another release down here. And that's more or less what, what Ash said. Um, you know, this is the next iteration, the next, uh, release, the next, you know, section of the contract. And, and then they understand, okay, so I can have the minimum stuff that I need. In, in three weeks, and I can have everything I need in two months. That's one of my favorite things about Tracker is that once you, once you get into a little bit of a rhythm, it just forces the team and, yes, your client to prioritize because they have to make trade-offs. Mm -hmm. One thing I did with one client that worked good was I didn't have, you know, put stuff in buckets. I had, you have a list of things. Like, it literally was a, an L, LIs and stuff. And I was like, put stuff in here. It shows the hours you know how much hours I I'm giving you in your budget. And basically like they could not cram in more things because it would have that little thing. As soon as they crammed in more, it bumped things off automatically. And he, he figured it out like, okay, so I'm going to have them take care of this fire and we're going to jump to this new feature. And I'm just going to have to suck it up. That other stuff's going to get pushed out of this bucket. I don't understand. Why can't I fit five pounds of manure in a 10 pound, I mean, I mean 10 pounds of manure in a five pound bag. 
I had to edit my words there, so I, you know. <laughs> Evan, Evan had an off by one error in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it was it was off by one error because I had to to, to do a, a, a regular expression substitution on, on one word. <laughs> and now you have 1.5 problems. <laughs> nice. Oh. <laughs> Please <Yeah>. intro. <laughs> so, so I have to ask um beyond the getting the deposit or the, you know, down payment or whatever, um how how do you manage non-payment? Oh, that's a good question. I I have in my contract, I I have my um invoice get set up uh, that I bill every other Friday. So if you think of it like a regular nine to five job, you probably get paid every other Friday. And that's the same way that I have my business set up. Uh, if, if somebody is late to pay my, my invoice terms are seven days. If somebody's late to pay the first time it's okay. As long as they tell me why and that kind of thing. The second time work gets stopped. So I still have that deposit. So if you decide to not pay me at all, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good and that deposit is non-refundable. So you may actually be losing money by not continuing business with me, that kind of thing. Um, so I, I've kind of set it up in such a way that there are all these, um, like walls that are between me and, you know, potentially losing money. We have to pay on a regular basis. If that doesn't get paid and it slips once, that's okay. The second time work stops until I get paid. The third time we have to sever the contract. I'm happy to uh, give you recommendations for other people, but it's very important to me and it should be important to you that we keep on a schedule, a very tight schedule, and that includes payment on time. So did I hear right that you said that is the deposit completely unrefundable or I, I heard you, you do like what I do, that the deposit used toward the last invoice, but the leftover amount, is that refundable? If if they pay all the way through the contract, it's definitely refundable. Uh, okay. If they okay. automatically, yeah. if they stop at some point in time, it becomes non-refundable. So, so if, they, if they default on a $3,000 invoice and you have a $5,000 deposit, then they lost two grand. Yep, kind yep. of sucks to be them. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, the thing is, yeah. is, is it's, look, you know, you gave your word. In fact, you did more than that. You signed a contract that said you were going to pay. Right. So, so that's, it, it's a working penalty. And I, I think that's fair. Yeah. And I, I like I that. Think I think so. I'm going to, I think I'm going to introduce that one strike, two strike approach. I like that. I think it's easy. I think it's easier for people to understand and seeing the payment terms up front and the penalties for not paying up front lets people kind of know like, oh, we tend not to ever pay on time and our, you know, payments generally go out like 90 days. That won't work with me. So yeah. if you see that in my contract, you kind of automatically know that this relationship probably isn't for you. So that's the kind of stuff that I try to weed out by like the first pass through my contract. And I, I was telling Evan this last week, all my contracts are in plain English. They're like a page and a half long, very easy to read. And so there's no way that anything could be misunderstood. Is there any way we could get copies of those? I was just about to ask if that'd be a stretch. <laughs> yes, you can definitely get a copy. Okay. Rock on, thank you. Is there, so now I'm really gonna ask for a stretch. Is there any way yeah. that we can put links to them on in the show notes? Yeah, I, I don't have them online right now, but I'd be happy to throw them up in a Google Doc or whatever. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. no, you ought to be better than that. You ought to put it up on your website. At least that way, it links to you, and you get a little more value out of it that way. Sure, yeah, I would absolutely. be happy to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just put them in PDF or Word or Pages or whatever format. Yeah, because you have them I, I'd really like after that discussion, but this one, I really want to read that. Yep. <laughs> 
All right. Well, we're we're kind of reaching the end of our time. Are there any other red flags that we didn't talk about that we ought to? I mean, that's sort of the obvious one. I don't know if anybody mentioned it, and it might be too obvious to mention. But I mean, lack of communication or your client just disappearing for some period of time, whatever that period of time is, always a horrible sign. Yeah. Yeah. I think that when it comes down to the the whole episode that maybe we did and we could do again on why to fire clients. Yeah, and I was going to bring up respect again. I mean, uh, and still to me, and I'm nitpicky about punctuality and stuff, but if you schedule a meeting or a phone call with me and you're late, then that's raising a red flag. I mean, (laughs) that's actually, so I was trying, I hate to keep referencing a previous conversation I had with Evan, but this is what I talked to Evan about last week. I... In addition to hating email, I also hate meetings. They tend yep. to be longer than they need to be, unproductive. People show up late. The meeting goes long. So I actually have in my contract that meetings start on time or before time, and they end on time or before time. You get charged I, for a meeting whether or not yes. you actually show up. Yes. I know. I, I don't I don't stipulate the on-time part, though I don't like it when they're late. But if they're late, it's still on their dime. Well, that means that, that that I have to reschedule. I could have been doing something else. Sometimes I have to drive to, or not drive, but I, sometimes I have to go to another location to be able to attend a meeting. So it takes a lot more than just the hour that they're paying for, for to, for me to basically be punished for that and for them being late or not attending a meeting. And punctuality well, and, is important to me. So. And you, granted, uh, you structure your work a little bit differently than me. That is that I tend to, I don't tend to have a backlog of people scheduled, but I tend to work more than one client at a time. So it's not, there's not necessarily as big an impact to me if, if there's a little bit of slippage, but when, when you're scheduled a little more clockwork, if they're late for a meeting, if, you know, if, if say they're an hour late, that's ridiculous, but if they're an hour late, that's an, an hour possibly of work you got that you end up robbing another, your, your next client. Yeah, and for me, I tend to, when the meeting's supposed to start, I, I start my time. I start my time. Yeah, this and is what I'm saying. I'll, it's I'll start. always on their time. If they're late, yep. I'm billing them when they're as soon as the meeting's supposed to start. Yep, and if um, if I have work that I can do on their project, then I'll just do that until they show up. But if I sure. don't, then they're paying me to sit on my hands until they show up or until I give up on them showing up. Darn tootin'. I said, I wait 15 minutes, and if they don't show up, then I do something else, and they reschedule or figure out what they're doing. Yep. Oh, oh, agendas for meetings. I also require agendas for meetings at least 24 hours in advance so I can prepare if they have questions. So I can, I don't have to say, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll get back to you later. That way we can get as much done in a meeting as possible. That so wouldn't work for my current client. <laughs> <laughs> I want an agenda. Huh? Yeah, right. Our agenda's <laughs> That's still the worst. I was just in a, like a, an estimation, a sprint planning meeting, if you want to call it that, but they're extending the sprint because they want to do more than can fit in the sprint. And so instead of prioritizing, they're going to lengthen the sprint. But so we're going through the tracker and it's Bugzilla, which sucks, by the way. But we're going, <laughs> we're going through, I'm laughing because I've been there. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> we're going through the tracker and they're, they're looking, reading down all these bugs. It's like, Oh, I think that one's been fixed. Oh, I think that one's been fixed. Oh, I think that one's been fixed. It's like, why couldn't you sort this out before you called me and started this project? And now you're wasting everybody's time. Oh, it's annoying. But yeah, I love agendas and hate meetings. Yeah. I, I think we're all there. I, I yeah, Mostly. <laughs> I, I found that there, there are a few things that, uh, having been, uh, an employee and then, uh, 
And then a, a freelancer, you know, it's one of those things where I, I like a lot of the freedom that I get. And I like that I don't have to deal with some of the things that come with, you know, being tethered to that company, like having to go to the meetings and, you know, you, you get the five minutes of relevant content out of the two hours you spend in there. Um, where with your clients, you know, you, you just explain to them, look, I really want to provide you the most value I can. And so if you need my input, I want to be around. But if you don't, then I would rather you make the decision and just let me know. And that way I can give you the most value for your money as possible. And in a lot of cases, you can kind of take control of things that way. Anyway, um, we're, we're pretty much out of time. So we'll go ahead and get into the picks. Eric, what are your picks? Um, I have another one I need to look for it too, but, uh, lately I've been, I got an Arduino a couple of weeks back and been just kind of hacking around on that, um, mostly to kind of do something different, have a hobby. And so my first pick is actually an Arduino. If you haven't played with it or used them before, they're pretty neat little things. Um, you know, it's, yes, it just lights up LEDs and does little electrical stuff, but it's so much different. And I actually don't know C, so I'm learning kind of a, weird version of C at the same time. So yep. that's my first pick. And my second pick is since I'm on Linux and I'm on a, I have my Linux configured really oddly. It's like, I don't know anyone else that has it like this. The Arduino GUI, which is written in Java actually doesn't work. Like you open a menu and it, the menu appears on the other monitor and it basically I couldn't work on my desktop. So I actually found a project that it's called Inno that basically Let's you do all of the stuff in the GUI, like compiling, attaching a serial console, all that stuff. And basically you do it from the command line and I can now hook it into kind of the standard, you know, rake file. Um, you know, I'm thinking of using like watcher or guard and actually have, you know, a kind of continuous push to the Arduino, um, all from that tool chain. So those are my two picks, very technical, but just kind of me playing around with electronic stuff. All right. Uh, Evan, what are your picks? Well, let's see. I guess you, you got me started on, on non-practical picks last week. So I'll pick, I'll resume. One of them is for a game called Block Fortress. It's a, um, combination tower defense, crafting game, a la Minecraft, a little, and first person shooter. Uh, it's $2 and I can't stop playing the stupid game. And that's pretty rare for an iOS game. So two bucks. I highly recommend it. So the other one is a, a bit of nostalgia for those people who watch Star Trek Next Generation, especially when maybe it first aired. There's a t-shirt that, uh, that I found online. Someone introduced me to over Twitter. I finally went and bought it. It has a picture of Jean-Luc Picard, or it's really more like an artistic rendering of Jean-Luc Picard holding an electric guitar, and around it it says, Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra, September 1991, like at the rock concert. And um, I just love that shirt. I've even worn it out here in BFE, no, I'm not going to spell that acronym, um, and I had someone actually stop and comment on it out here in the middle of nowhere where you wouldn't think anyone would even know what science fiction is. Nice. So, cool. It costs like 15 bucks, and it, it's if you're a Trekkie, it's awesome. All right. Jeff, what are your picks? I've just got one this week. It's uh, SivaBot, which is uh, a Skype bot written in Python. It's sort of an answer to all the cool kids that get to use Campfire and HipChat and have like Git commits and Jenkins build messages show up in chat, but for a company that refuses to not use Skype. So that's my pick. <laughs> so it's basically Hubot for Skype? Uh, yeah, but <laughs> really, really, really basic version of Hubot. Okay. I'll go ahead and go next. 
Um, my first pick is Google Calendar. Uh, it's the way that I manage all of the calendars for all of these shows. It's nice because I can just share it with everybody else. They can see it and uh, they can do what they need to do with it. My second pick is Amazon S3. I've been doing this Ruby on Rails course, and uh, S3 has been by far the easiest way for me to share um, the videos from the course with the students from the course. And, uh, you know, I just put it up there, make it public, and then let them download it, give them the links. And uh, I've been really, really happy with it. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to learning more about how all that works. And uh, we'll let Ash give us some picks. Cool. Uh, so my first one is Graze, graze.com. It's a neat little service that will send you uh, basically snacks once a week or, or once every two weeks, depending on. And it's a bunch of different kinds of snacks, and they're generally pretty healthy. And I got my first box last week, and they were super delicious. Um, my second one is GitTip, which is a really neat kind of like micro payment system for you to be able to support people that work on open source or other things that benefit the community on a weekly basis. So for instance, you could give somebody 25 cents a week or all the way up to $24 a week for whatever, whatever contributions that they make that you might benefit from. So it's kind of a way to fund the work that they're doing with, that would otherwise be unpaid. And then my, my third one is Datum, which is a neat little web app that lets you track data for anything, basically. So if you want to be able to track um, the the frequency with which you eat pizza every week, you could keep track of that. Or like I'm using it right now. Every single time I read something that makes me angry on the internet, I do ten sit ups and ten push ups. So uh, I keep <laughs> track of, you of the number. Really you really need to start working. I and it, it you know and I it's funny I've I've kind of stopped it for the past couple weeks but I'm picking it up and, but I keep kind of a running log of all the things that kind of make me upset um, because I read a lot of horrible things on the internet. So this is, I'm hoping working in one of two ways, either one, it keeps me from finding those things that make me upset or two, it just makes me really so, so either you're going to live in a bubble or you're going to be incredibly fit. I'm, I'm going to be so ripped. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been also, doing this? Um, I would say about a month. Um, I, I don't she is so when, ripped then. <laughs> I don't remember what kind of, um, eventually like pushed me over the edge, but I mean, it's a lot of stress. Like there are a lot of not great things that happen in the world every day and that happen in our community every day. And I was tired of just being angry about it all the time. So this is kind of, you know, something to be like, maybe you should stop being angry all the time. And if you are angry, maybe do something about it. All right. Well, it looks like that's uh, all of us. Um, thanks for coming, Ash. Really appreciate your your input on all this stuff. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, well, we'll wrap the show up. We'll catch you all next week. We're going to be talking to Jen Swanson next week about communication. Take care. Bye. See ya. Later.